If you're looking for help for someone you know that has Taylor Swift derangement syndrome. <laughs> Is that actually a thing? <laughs> call your medical and psychological professionals immediately. Because we are not that podcast. We certainly no. aren't. However, we are comedy, tragedy, marriage. marriage. Welcome to Comedy, Tragedy, Marriage. You late? Yeah, we know. We're sorry. However, uh, we are here. It's my uh, fault. Yeah, well, no, no, it's, it's fine. Uh, this is a podcast where a longtime married couple gets together and selects a movie, TV show, or documentary to watch. We take turns doing that each week. We watch it together, and then we sit down and discuss why we liked it, loved it, or loathed it, and share that conversation with you. I am Stan the Movie Man. I review films from time to time at StanTheMovieMan.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Movie Man Stan. You can follow me, uh, also you can follow the podcast at CT Marriage. And if you uh, choose to go to one of the other <clears throat> micro-blogging platforms, such as um, either Blue Sky, Spoutable, or Threads, I am over there at Stan the Movie Man. Pardon me just a second. <clears throat> I don't know why I have all that gunk in my throat. Well, because East Tennessee and because changing seasons and Mother Nature has cramps, so yes. it's perfectly understandable. M my apologies. Uh, if you have a question or uh, a suggestion for something for us to watch, feel free to send that to us via email. Uh, you can send that to comedytragedymarriage at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message by clicking the link in the description of this episode. Joining me, as always, is my other half. Maud the Tippy Toppy Broad. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was my choice this week. Yeah, it was. <laughs> okay. And uh, I decided on the uh, film from just last year, the satirical teen comedy film Bottoms. It stars Rachel Sinnott. Uh, who also co-wrote the film. Uh, along, uh, it also stars Ruby Cruz, Havana Rose, uh, Havana Rose Liu, uh, Kaya Gerber, Io Ed, uh, Ed, um, I looked this up and I was going to pronounce <laughs> it correctly and I forgot. Io Edebury, that's how you pronounce it. Io Edebury. Good for you. Um, and also... Marshawn Lynch, <clears throat> the the former football player, um, who, if you see him in any movie, uh, no matter what the column, no matter what his job is supposed to be, he's pretty much playing Marshawn Lynch. Uh, it is the story of a couple of queer high school students um, who are played by Rachel Sennett and... Um, Io Adebari, uh, PJ and Josie, uh, both of whom are, are about to enter what I believe is their senior years, and both of whom are virgins and hoping to lose their virginity in this their senior year, and both are fairly clueless how they are going to do that. Uh, now, 
they both have crushes on a couple of cheerleaders. Um, one is Isabel, played by Havana Rose Lou, and the other is Brittany, played by Kaya Gerber, who is the daughter of a supermodel. And she's her mama's mini-me. Yes, she is. Remind me of the mo uh, mom's name. That would be Cindy Crawford. Thank you very much. Yep. Uh, but uh, Isabel is dating the high school quarterback stud, a guy by the name of Jeff, played by Nicholas uh, Galitzine. Um, and, you know, the the strata of the high school is very well defined. Oh yeah, it's a huge caste system there. And uh, the the uh, reference in of uh, the title uh, bottoms is is their level on the social hierarchy. Yeah, they're at the bottom they're of the at food the, chain. Yes, they are at the very very bottom. Um, it's not a reference to any sort of sexual thing. Ew. At least. That no. we know of. As far as we know. Um, so, uh, there's a fair that kicks off the school year, and they're about to, uh, you know, the, the, the rival uh, high school, which is, all, is the big game, is they're also their, like their homecoming game. And uh, they're they're going to uh, you know it's, it's it's the big game that everybody uh, tries to get all crazy and and built up for. Um, and uh, at this uh, fair, um, Jeff and uh, Isabel break up because Jeff is, or not break up, they have a fight. And Jeff is, because Jeff is flirting with uh, a woman at the fair. <clears throat> so uh, PJ and Josie offer her a ride home. And um, uh, Jeff stands in front of their car. And um, Josie is driving. And she barely moves forward and touches his knee. And Jeff acts like he's been cut off at the knees with, you know, like a, uh, a chainsaw. Yeah, it's like he got kissed by a butterfly. Yes. It's, it's nothing. It's hardly, it's hardly, he, he wasn't even hit that hard. And then all the football players come up and are consoling him and shaking their fists at, at the heavens, asking why. And they all you know, uh, uh, pledge that they're going to uh, take their revenge on PJ and Josie. And um, by the way, PJ has a crush on Brittany and Josie has a crush on Isabel. Uh, so the next day at school, uh, PJ and Josie are called into the principal's office um, where they are threatened with expulsion. And uh, PJ and Josie say, well, that's a shame because we were about to start a club, an after-school club for, for the girls of the school for female empowerment. And the principal, who is clueless, says, you mean like a female fight club? And 
PJ says, yes, yeah, that is yeah, what sure. we were going to... And Josie's going, no, it's not that... PJ's, yes, yes, we, that is exactly what we're going to do. Uh, and the principal just sort of gives up because I, he's checked out a long time ago. Uh, and and so he's, you know, he's like, sure, go ahead, do your thing. So that they see... Uh, PJ and or PJ mostly sees this as an opportunity to bring in attractive girls from the school and maybe possibly lose their virginity. Uh, now, what they initially attract are not attractive girls, um, or at least not the ones that they're attracted to. Yes, one of those is Hazel Callahan, played by Ruby Cruz, um, who. Um, you know, she's, she's all right. Um, she's sort of masculine, but you know, she's, she's fine. Um, and is she gay? Do we know? I don't think that is ever discussed or, uh, established one way or the other. Okay. Um, and I don't know that it's ever established one way or the other for, most of the other girls in the fight club. So, uh, you know, neither PJ nor Josie knows what they are doing in this club. So they just wind up beating each other up and beating up the girls and getting beaten up by the girls in the club. Um, and what happens by accident is is they do sort of begin to empower each other uh, uh, about standing up for themselves against the the social strata and the uh, bullying, the bullying and pressure. the sexual strata uh, of of the school. Meanwhile, uh, Hazel walks into her house one day after school and catches Jeff and her mom having, she doesn't see them having sex, but it's pretty clear that they've been having sex. Uh, and Hazel shares that with, um, with Josie, who then shares that with um, Isabel. Jeff's girlfriend. Sorry, Jeff's girlfriend. Score? Huh? I'm I'm asking, are is everybody keeping score yeah, with yeah. who's who belongs to who? Right. Who's yeah. It, it's a bit convoluted. Um and and so, you know, because all of this is based on this on on two lies that they've 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 started this fight club for female empowerment and they've told everybody well, they haven't told any uh, PJ has allowed the false impression that they went to juvie uh, over the summer, over yeah. the summer um, and they have embellished that idea over time that they they had to they had to you know deal with uh, violent hazing while they were in juvie they didn't have to go to juvie so naturally there wasn't any violent hazing um, that they they are these hardened criminal types um, so these two lies begin to build, um, on each other and, uh, eventually it has to come tumbling down, um, 
and blow up in their faces. So, you know, it it's 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 a very loosely held together story. I I admit that it is it is kind of a ramshackle sort of story, but I really like this movie. Um, it was criminally underseen, in my opinion. It had a very limited release, um, although um, it made more than its production budget, but just by a few million. So it didn't do well. I can't say it turned a profit, but they also didn't spend a lot on promotion. So I don't know that it broke even. Oh, I, I can guarantee it didn't break even since half of uh, ticket sales stay with the theater. So yeah, uh, it it lost some it lost money, uh, except for maybe rentals and DVD sales and stuff like that. But uh, you can stream it on um, MGM Plus uh, if you want to, or you can rent it. But I, I think it's worth seeing, especially if you are someone who maybe has an uh, LGBTQ plus teenager in your house uh, who is, you know, questioning all sorts of things about their existence and their place in the world and um, also, you know, their place in the social strata because this film addresses not only um, their section the sexuality but also the sort of silliness of the social um, uh, stratification of high school and society in general um, and and it's funny on top of that uh, there are some some great uh, performances in it from our two leads as well as the supporting cast um, and uh, Marshawn Lynch like I said is just pretty much Marshawn Lynch but his character and the things he says which are completely inappropriate are often very funny so I, I think the movie is very much worth seeing now based on some things that, that Maude has said <laughs> I'm going to assume she has a different opinion on Bottoms. So, Maude, why don't you tell people what you thought of the movie? Yeah, so... <laughs> don't sugarcoat it. I'm, I'm a big boy. I can take it. It, it, it. Um... I, it was okay. Okay. It um. I as a as a coming of age kind of thing. Um. As um. I I agree with you that it was very loosely held together. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that the the basic premise is really strong, and I think um, I think the execution was not. 
for me. Okay. Um, I, I, a lot of it felt very, um, like improvised maybe. Yeah, I would agree. And, um, in that regard, maybe a little bit more structure might have helped to kind of tighten it up a little bit. It was, it was just, it was loose. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think that the looseness necessarily worked to the premises benefit. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know, there's, it's, it's, eh, eh. I think that there are other films that have done this kind of thing better. Okay. But um, I'm also of a certain age and um although so are you yeah but i don't know it just it was a little bit of a miss for me honestly i mean i didn't hate it but um i it just kind of it just missed for me a little bit i think well to me it is an absurdist kind of comedy yeah it was classified someplace as raunchy comedy, raunchy yeah, teen comedy, but and I that's mean, all legit. I mean, it's to me, it is a comedy that relies on, you know, sort of giving up on the concept that anything in this film would ever really happen in real life. Like when I, I tell you that you need to be able to suspend disbelief. Yeah, of course. Yes. Um and for this movie, I just couldn't quite get there. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I, you know the the whole thing with the principal who's who's just completely checked out, off out out completely inappropriate as a human yeah, being. Yeah, uh, he you know. Granted, there are certainly some principals who should not be in that job we hear about yeah. them from time to time but um you know i don't think anyone that we've ever heard of was as you know checked out as this guy no and that was one of those over-the-top portrayals right uh, which which this film is full of yes um hazel I, Hazel, I dug. Hazel she, was about the most grounded character in the whole film. And she likes to blow stuff up, <laughs> which I loved, actually. Yeah, I yeah. loved that element. Yeah. Um, on football dude yeah. um, is ends up, you know, by happenstance, being the sponsor of the Girls Fight Club, right. which was a funny little turn. Yeah. Um, he just... And again, suspending disbelief, there is no way on the planet that he could ever, that a real teacher could get away with that kind of language and, you know, without horrible repercussions, you know, following him for the rest of his earthly existence. Yeah. Which, again, is one of those over-the-top suspend disbelief. That's where the absurdism comes in. Yes, it is absurdist. Um, so, yeah, I can... And, and there's definitely an audience that needs this. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just not so much it. I'm right. old. I'm straight. <laughs> um, I'm Caucasian. And um, 
Yeah, old, straight, and Caucasian. Yeah, so well, yeah. I mean, mostly old. I am also old. I am also straight. I am also Caucasian. Um, but I also like seeing a movie that you know steps outside of the boundaries. Yeah, and and this uh, qualifies. And uh, the other thing you mentioned about it look sounding like it was you know uh improvised kind of, yeah it was like they were just riffing yeah um you know there are there are outtakes at or uh deleted scenes at the end of the movie as Over the, the credit. credits start yeah and yeah you can see from some of those outtakes and deleted scenes that um yeah i think they were given an, an outline at least in some scenes of you know we're starting here you need to end here let's try not to take more than you know 45 seconds to make that journey and um you know but how you get and, there and is up to you and, and let's see what happens uh so yes i think I'll, some of it was improvised um and i think some of these actors come from an improv background um and with digital uh, technology, you're not burning film anymore, which was very expensive. Now yeah. you're just you're just burning up gigs, which a are couple, cheap. A couple of mouse clicks away, and you, yeah, can, you can fix the whole thing. You, you can clip out all that stuff, and 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 it's it's no big deal. You're not paying for developing and then just throwing it away. Uh, so if I'm gonna watch people riffing though, it needs to be like. Robin Williams ripping on, riffing on Jonathan Winters and vice versa. It needs to be magical. And for me, a lot of the riffing stuff just didn't, again, didn't, I did, I couldn't quite get there. Right. And, and I, I understand that not, but even Jonathan Winters and Robin Williams didn't always hit, you know, um, and, yeah, they and, did. well, no, they didn't. Uh, you just saw the stuff they, they put on, they put on TV. Um, there's, um, you know, but, uh, what they did put in the film is often very funny. Now there, there's a lot of very fast talking, um, so fast at times that the closed captioning, which we always have on was having a hard time keeping up. Um, so if, if that's an issue for you, then, you know, keep that in mind. And this is not for kids. This, oh God, no. This movie has a lot of potty mouth. A lot in of it, language. Which I, language per se does not bother me. No. Um, I just, I, I tend to hold films of this type up to, one of the best masterpieces of American cinema ever created, which was 1984's 16 Candles. And this, it, this does not compare to that, so. Well. And it's an unfair comparison to make, yes. Yes, um, and that was made by an auteur. Um, and I think that had a locked in script. Um, this was, Probably made, you know, Bottoms was made on a shoestring budget, relatively speaking. 
Um, and um, so, you know, the difference in quality is is going to be, you know, noticeable. Um, Apples and oranges. So, you know, I, I and I understand your problems with it. I, I do. I, I, I see the the issues as far as how the story's kind of loosey goosey, and um, and the sort of uh, um, you know the 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 sort of the the improv feeling nature of of the dialogue um, and the jokes, um, but at the same time it gives it sort of. Uh, uh, and I'm saying sort of a lot, I apologize. It gives it a, a dangerous and on-the-fly quality um, that at times can be very refreshing. Um, and, well, and it definitely doesn't seem overly rehearsed. No. So there's that. Uh, so, you know, just for me personally, uh, the film worked for me. So... I, um, you know, and, and I understand your reservations and, and I, I have no issue with them whatsoever. Well, so thank you. Um, well, I guess. You know, um, Hazel you know. likes to blow stuff up. That was cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, she just needs to learn how to count. Um, well, you know, I sucked at math too, uh-huh. so. Uh, so, yeah. So obviously we have a difference of opinion. So, obviously, there's going to be a difference in opinion in our ratings. I personally give um, Bottoms four and a half stars. Uh, what do you give Bottoms? Yeah, I'm going to give it two cheerleaders that limp. Hmm. Okie dokie. Sorry. Well, it's fine. That's cool. All right. What else have you been watching, listening to, reading, whatever? Okay, uh, since last we spoke, I finished Tom Hanks's big book, The Making of a Modern, The Making of a Modern Motion Picture Masterpiece. It's, it's a really long title, but I think it's The Making of Another Modern Motion Picture Masterpiece. Anyway, it was really good. Um, he manages to weave together several different storylines he combines them in such a way that they make sense and there's a beautiful sort of poignant tying together of timelines and storylines toward the end of the book which was very satisfying for me because i love that kind of um full circle moment we also get a lot of footnotes in the book that let us in on the process of actual filmmaking and the things that happen in the studio, in the edit bays, on set. It's very much an inside look into what goes into making a motion picture, which was for me was very interesting and cool. Like, there's nothing that the dude is bad at doing, apparently. He is a great actor. He writes great books now, we have discovered. So I finished that, and it was great. I am waiting for Bonnie Garmus's 
lessons in chemistry that I've been on a waiting list for the library for like two months waiting for this book. It should arrive for me probably early next week. So yay. We together just before we sat down to record this watched the first installment of FX slash Hulu's production of Feud. Truman Capote versus the Swans, and oh my gosh, I am going to be so here for this. <laughs> Big name actors, scenery chewing already so hard that they are spitting splinters. It's just going to be a guilty delight. What did you think? I enjoyed it too. I'm I'm looking forward to it, and uh, Tom Hollander, who plays Truman Capote, is virtually unrecognizable uh, with all the makeup and with the voice. He's really done his research and watched a lot of Capote's footage, and he's he's good. Well, uh, what I read was is that he watched um, the the film um, Philip Seymour Hoffman that Philip Capote? Seymour Hoffman made. Yeah. Uh, and that was what he modeled his, his performance off of. Well, he's, he's pretty, seems pretty spot on to me. Yeah. He's just so fabulous. Yes. it. As it, are all of the swans we've met so far. Now, we've got swans yet to meet. Yes. Um, the first two episodes dropped today. We probably will get one per week hereafter until it's com completed. We only had time to watch the one. Um, so there's there's more scenery chewing to be had. So it's just it's very stylish looking uh, wardrobe, makeup, hair, uh, because we're jumping back and forth among different timelines. So um, it appears that it's going to center heavily on the story of um, Bill and Babe Paley, portrayed by the late Treat Williams and Naomi Watts, who is um, radiant in the hair and makeup that they've done for her, aging her up and, um, you know, giving her her socialite rich glow. So um, we also will meet, uh, we've met Diane Lane's character and Chloe Savigny's character. We have not yet met Callista Flockhart, um, but she, she has a role in this as well. And we've met Demi Moore's character, Anne Woodward, who comes to an unfortunate end. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, and it's based on a book, which of course I'm going to want to read, but, um, yeah, I'm here for it. Yeah. I can't imagine they're just going to use Demi Moore in that first episode. And since there's flashbacks. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're going to be jumping. I, from what I've read, they're going to be jumping around among the timelines throughout the series. Yeah. So we will see much more of Demi Moore. Yes, and there's also a fair amount of language in this one. Oh, yeah. As well as some sexual situations. Um, so, you know, keep that in mind. Yeah, it's not for your kids. No. Stream um, it after they've gone to bed. So, but yes. Uh, I've, I enjoyed... Truman Capote versus the Swans, um, and it's it's it is uh, it it is uh, it's not a guilty pleasure, but it is a um, a, a guiltish 
pleasure. It's Let's put just it that way. so voyeuristic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything else? Well, we have been watching Death by Fame. Yes. Which is a true crime sort of um, docu-series about um, people who have, you may, they're not household names necessarily, but they they're have, on the edges. They're on, fame. yeah, they're on the fringes of Hollywood or New York or wherever. They're on the fringes of fame and, um, you know, homicides happen to them. Yes. So it, it, it's, and it's been interesting mm -hmm. and I like, I like the way that it's done. Yes. Where uh, are we streaming that? Well, it's on Discovery Plus. Okay. Uh, it's a, it's an ID, um, show. Um, anything else? We watched, um, the documentary about the making of We Are the World. Yes. Um, we streamed that. That was on Netflix. Yes. It's called, oh, what was that called? Uh, the. Like the biggest night in rock or something. Night, biggest night in pop, I think is what that's called. Uh, but anyway, it's hard to miss. It's about the We Are the World um, song and video and how it came together, um, the production and how they managed to get so many people all in the same place at the same time to make this thing happen. A little bit of dishing on some people who maybe had a little too much wine before and during the recording, an artist or two who might have been called a troublemaker, we won't say who, um, but the, the, the song was written and um, submitted to Quincy Jones in like 10 days time. And they were trying to get, you know, dream, dream bucket list artists, who would you want to, you know, participate on this thing? And what they ended up doing was saying, oh my gosh, the um, American Music Awards are coming up. So many of these artists are all going to be in Hollywood on this night for this event. Why don't we record it after the show? And so that's what they did. They got all these people together. They took them into a recording studio and stayed up all night recording this song that had been seemingly thrown together so quickly and made magic out of it. And it is still helping to feed hungry children in Africa to this day. Yes, it's called The Greatest Night in Pop. Greatest Night in Pop, thank you. Uh, and it is on Netflix. Uh, it's actually the number two um, ranked most Second most, most watched movie on Netflix right now. Yeah. And it is, uh, it's really good. It really was. Um, and it's kind of sad seeing all those people who are dead now. It, who, it you is. know, I remember seeing or playing, uh, oftentimes playing all those people on the radio oh, God, when I was too, on the right? air back in the day. Yeah. Um, um, Lionel Richie, I, I have a lot, I mean, I've always liked Lionel Richie, enjoyed his music, all that kind of thing. This man, okay, co-wrote the song, hosted the, the American Music Awards that night, performed twice on the show, won six American Music Awards that evening, and then went straight from that venue to the recording studio, 
was wrangling, you know, cats on cocaine, probably, <laughs> trying to get this thing logistically put together and, um, you know, was up all night, <laughs> all night long. Yeah. And um, well, the and... fact that he was, <clears throat> you know, even standing up straight by the time this thing was over is a marvel to me. And, you know, the show ended... Well, the show probably ended at 11 Eastern, which would have been 8 o'clock uh, Pacific time. time. Um, and then an hour or so later, everybody got to A&M Studios where they were recording it. And then then it became Wrangling Cats. Um, and um, They had to it, feed them, it so took Roscoe's a, well, Chicken and Waffles gets shipped in. That was after they had the chorus laid down. Yeah. Uh, and, and but before before it, they fed them, uh, they were, you know, laying down the chorus parts, and then um, they were. <laughs> Who's doing the solos? Uh, well, that was after after they ate, and then, you know, there was Stevie Wonder wanted <laughs> wanted a a a line. Um, in Swahili, well, that made Waylon Jennings leave because he said, this country boy don't speak no Swahili. It's time for me to go. It's time for me to go. <laughs> um, Bless. And it turns out nobody in Ethiopia speaks Swahili. And they did get that worked out. And they but, figured that out. By then, Waylon, Waylon had was walked gone. already. And then Michael wanted to do something that sounded vaguely like a foreign language. Well, uh, that I think they sort of nixed that. And, and, you know, it was like they started working on it at like ten, 9 or 10 o'clock. Their after at their time after the American Music Awards were were over, uh, was over, and then they worked on it. They finally finished. Um, it was uh, Bruce Springsteen uh, did the last of the filler solo stuff um, at the end of the song at seven a.m. Yeah. After he had been on tour, he had finished his tour. The day before, he the, did the last tour stop in Buffalo, flew cross-country yeah, to be involved in this. He was tired, but he, he and he normally didn't travel after a show, but he did that night, and he did the thing, and, and he's featured heavily in the documentary with modern footage as well as uh, footage from the time. Yeah, his recollections of of the event. And really cool. It, it it gave me warm fuzzies. Me too. As well as some sads, seeing yeah. all those people who are gone now. Um, so it's a really it, it's it's entertaining to hear these people talking about that time, and then seeing them as they're performing the song. It's it's. It's it's really good, um, especially if you are of a certain age. Yes, if you have no idea what we are the world is, Google, Google it, it. Um, or ask your parents. Yes, you and I watched on Max a 
crime documentary called Chowchilla. Oh my gosh. About the 1976 abduction of uh, 26 school children and their bus driver in Chowchilla, California, a very rural community uh, there. <clears throat> and it was summer school and there was, you know, they just didn't come home. And of course, everybody freaked out. And, and it's the story of, of um, them, you know, orchestrating their own escape and the people who were behind the abduction in the first place and why. Privileged jackasses. Uh, well, one of them. Well, no, that, I guess they, yeah, they were all privileged jackasses. Yeah. Um, and, you know. Ridiculous. There were, there were some things in there that were just infuriating. Mm-hmm. Um, not only about the guys who committed the crime, but how the kids were treated after they got home. Um, so... Yeah, that that's it's a very interesting story that I vaguely remember uh, from when it happened because again I'm old. Uh, We're it's, of a certain age. Oh, old. It's Chowchilla. <laughs> uh, it is available to stream on HBO uh, on Max. On, on Max. Uh, let's see what else have we watched. We watched Psycho. The Lost Tapes of Ed Gein. Oh my gosh. On MGM Plus. It is a four episode documentary series that could have been probably two episodes. Um, and they are re tape recordings of interviews with Ed Gein after he was arrested uh, for the two murders and the various. Uh, grave robbings that he was responsible for, um, and and all the various uh, arts and crafts he was doing with the bits and pieces he was stealing from the bodies that he was getting from the graves. Uh, if you don't know, Ed Gein um, was a freak who um, who would um, do weird things with the bits and pieces of women's bodies that he would remove from graves, uh, including their heads uh, and their sexual organs. He was the dude who would make the skin suits and mm -hmm. make like lampshades out of human skin. Yes. And he took skulls and put them on the bedposts of the four posts of his bed. He, he, he made, made a bowl bowls out of, out of them. Um, yeah. Um, just really a, a ghoul. Now, let me warn you. There are some extraordinarily graphic images that are not faked. There mm -hmm. are some very real crime scene photos in this documentary it, yeah, that get alarming. showed over and over and over again. Not for the faint of heart or the no. squeamish. Uh, there's there's no blood to speak of, but you see some things. God, can um, you imagine if those colors, if those pictures had been in color? I'd rather not. Terrifying. Um, and um, and you hear Ed Gein's voice and him being questioned. Now, what you 
also here is the same clips of Ed Gein being questioned over and over and over Those again. Those are repeated a lot. Hence my uh, saying that it could have been probably two episodes. Three max. Uh, yeah, max. But if you are the least bit interested in the man who was uh, the uh, basis for Norman Bates in Psycho, and for Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and for uh, pretty much any uh, freaky serial killer that you've seen in a movie, like uh, Hannibal Lecter, or, or anything like that, uh, then you will be interested in Psycho, The Lost Tapes of Ed Gein. That is on MGM+. Now, we started uh, another MGM Plus documentary series called Charles Manson, Helter Skelter, an American Myth, uh, which is, of course, obviously about Charles Manson and his cult uh, and the Sharon Tate LaBianca murders. Um, now, as the name implies, uh, although the first episode doesn't get into it, um, the story that we have been told about what Manson was trying to do with the murders may all be just sort of some window dressing put on the crimes to make them more outrageous uh, by the prosecutor, Bugliosi, um, to generate more publicity for himself. More public outrage. Yeah, and more public outrage. Um, so, um, and I have heard this theory before, uh, I think, on, uh, on podcasts. Uh, I, I think on the last podcast on the left. Um, so, if you are interested in that, I mean, we haven't finished it yet, but uh, we will be getting back to it. It is called Charles Manson, Helter Skelter, and American Myth. It is on MGM+. We are recent subscribers to MGM+, and um, pretty much the first thing I go through on any new service is the documentary section, because I like to look for the true crime stuff and anything about science or space or anything like that and um, I'm I'm finding lots of new stuff to watch on these new services so so uh, uh, that's about it anything um, else you want to talk about um nothing I can put my brain around right now so okay uh, well, nothing my brain is going to fit around anytime real soon. So thank you very much for listening to this episode of Comedy Tragedy Marriage. Again, again we are sorry it is late. But sorry. like I said on X and all the other platforms, um, the old saying goes, people make plans and God laughs. Uh, we made the plan to record on Tuesday and God ha-ha. So, um, yeah, so... But here we are, and uh, if uh, you would be so kind as to give us a uh, follow uh, and uh, subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you happen to listen to, if you do that on Spotify, that will help us out the most. 
If you have a question for us, you can send that to us via email, comedytragedymarriage at gmail.com. You can send us a uh, recommendation for something you think we should watch. Tell us what it is and why you think we should watch it. Send that to comedytragedymarriage at gmail.com. You can also send that to us via a voice message by clicking the link in the description of this episode. I'm Stan the Movie Man. That's Maude the Movie Broad. Love you. Love you. And until next time. Later. Later.